And this is why, for example, many marketers struggle to get buy-in from the rest of their team. It's because they speak like marketers and they don't speak like the business owner. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Tuesday, which means this is our hashtag one big idea episode. In these episodes, you'll hear some of the best big ideas from incredible practitioners, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs within our community. Here we go. Welcome to the Flip My Funnel Show. Sangram here, super pumped. Today, we have someone who is an international keynote speaker on sales, marketing, and leadership. And most of the audience is focused on sales and marketing. I was in Toronto a couple of weeks ago, almost, I think maybe a month ago, and I met this guy, Marcus, who, who is a champion at axe throwing, so we might, we might chat about that. And that was all the speakers were coming together a night before, and we, were, we went there to do some axe throwing, and I met him, and then I heard him the next day, and then I watched, went online, which is not typical of me to do, but I went online to do a little bit more research. I'm like, this person has so much energy, and he's talking about so many things that I can, can relate to, and he really focused on the idea of trust. So uh, I, was, I was enamored, and, and then he has done TEDx talk on the idea of honest economy. So today's topic is really going to be all around how can businesses and brand be more trusted, and I think Marcus Sheridan is, is one of the best at it. So Marcus, welcome to the show. Sangram, it's great to be here, man. I'm, I, I'm glad to to be with you, to be with your audience. Hopefully I'll say something that is actually worth their time, but I do believe we will. These 20 or so minutes is going to be takeaway driven. That's my commitment. That's awesome. Love it, Matt. So let's start with a fun fact about you that, that not many people might know just hearing you speak. Yeah, most people wouldn't know that I am fluent in Spanish and I lived in Chile for two years. And that's actually where I learned that I was supposed to be a professional speaker was when I was in Chile. That's exactly how, how so? I'm just curious now. Well, I was, I was a missionary for my church there. And, you know, it's funny. I got there. I didn't speak any Spanish at all. But I had an incredible amount of success, un, uh, unusual success. And I, that's, that was where I recognized that one of the great keys to life and to communication is to say things in a way that people can understand them. And that, in and of itself, in many ways, is a lost art. And this is why, for example, many marketers struggle to get buy-in from the rest of their team. It's because they speak like marketers and they don't speak like the business owner or they don't speak like a sales pro, right? And so if you adjust the way that you communicate and obsess, we're like literally obsess over your audience. And, and this is beautiful for any type of content we ever produce, any videos we ever produce, any one-to-one -one communication or one-to-many communication. If we're obsessing over, did the light bulb come on? Did they actually get it? Did they understand it? Versus I need to try and impress my audience here because the problem is so many of us try to impress our audience, we actually end up losing them because of that goal. Whereas my goal is always communion. Do they get it? Does the light bulb come on? And that's where I learned it in Chile. That's awesome, man. That's, uh, that's a great story. I don't know if you've shared that uh, much. Uh, Very little. I, yeah, most people don't know that about me. <laughs> that's amazing. That, that's pretty cool. I, I totally love the idea that that communication is obviously one of the most important things. I see that great people out there today. I know a lot of amazing people who are brilliant, 
but they're not able to move ahead in their life, in their career, because they're just not able to articulate what they're trying to do. Thanks. They've done a couple studies on this. They say the number, the number one skill set that dictates average income in 2018 and beyond is your ability to communicate. Ooh. And so what's, what's fascinating about this is you don't have to, it's, it's, this is why you're seeing more and more and more like a lot of the major brands like Google and whatnot have stopped making college a requirement for a job application. In other words, they're accepting applicants now that did not go to college. And that's because this is a new way of thinking, right? First of all, your education is more important than your schooling. And then your ability to communicate what you learned is actually more important than what you learned. And this is what's funny too, is the way that you as a business person, as a salesperson, as a marketer can truly test, am I communicating well is, can the person that heard me now translate it to their team or to somebody else? Because this is what causes momentum and movement and virality. This is what causes something to spread, right? But if it can't be stated in a simple way. So this is the reason why the book that I wrote is called They Ask, You Answer, right? Outrageously simple. But because it's outrageously simple, it resonates with people, right? It's not a book that has the words content marketing in the title, even though a lot of it is about content marketing. Plus, I realized a long time ago that if you want to get something in business tabled or rejected, you call it a marketing initiative. If you want to get it approved, you call it a sales initiative. (laughs) That's reality, right? And so words matter. It all matters. Oh, man, I love that. So, you know, one of the things uh, when I was speaking at, uh, at this conference, at the Uberflip conference where we met, my beginning, and, and we talked mostly to B2B companies. So my opening as a marketer, knowing that there are a lot of marketers in the room, is that the value of marketing as a function in B2B is defined by what? And there was a pin drop silence. And then they were kind of saying, well, by marketing, by brand, by demand, by leads. And I'm like, no, your sales team. And, and and some people got offended and they're like, how can you say that? How can you betray your own tribe of marketers? You're a marketer yourself. I'm like, no, you're not, I'm not saying the value of you as a person. I'm saying the value of the function itself. If your salesperson or the team doesn't feel like you're giving them what they want or the organization asks the sales team, like, Hey, is marketing doing what they need to do for you? You're going to lose your job and it's a matter of time. So you better that. I wonder if you bring up a great, great point. And this is, this is what every marketer, and they don't teach this in college, which <laughs> is a crying shame. And there's, in fact, m- most of digital, they don't teach well in college at this point for marketers. And they're, most are ill-prepared and it's a crying shame. You, if, if you look at how business works, we spend money within departments. Unless said departments can show that they're very much saving money or generating money, well, then eventually said departments get either clipped, they get cut out, they get turned off because there's this person called a CFO that is going to say at some point in time, yeah, 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 that sounds nice, but is it actually worth it? Is it driving revenue? And I'm not talking about just, you know, uh, causes and things like that right now. I'm, you know, that's aside from this. I'm, I'm talking about, we've got to show our rev. And so, you know, I, when, I, when I'm speaking directly to marketers, I always ask, 
if you, if I talk to your CEO right now, or if I talk to anybody on your leadership team right now, and I said, how much revenue is marketing generating for your organization? What would they say? Because if they can't say a number, and it should sound something like this, basically they should say, well, from what we've tracked, we can account for a minimum of X revenue has been generated from our marketing team this year. If they can't say that, there's a good chance that eventually your job's going to be in trouble. If you can say that, and you can say it with clarity and the number is high, this is when you can go in to the boss and say, I married a raise. And the crying shame is most marketers are dramatically paid less but pay dramatically less than most salespeople. Yet notwithstanding, in the B2B space right now, marketing handles 70% of the buying decision. That's a fact. Yep. This, is, this has been accepted now. And the idea that those that are handling 30% are getting paid dramatically more than those that are handling 70%, but yet notwithstanding, you go to most sales managers in the world right now, and you say, what percentage of the sale does marketing handle versus sales and most sales teams, sales managers are still overestimating their impact on the actual sale. And this is a problem. This is why some of the most progressive brands in the world that I have seen are eliminating quote sales and marketing. They're calling it revenue teams Mm -hmm. and they're essentially one unit that's going about this in one direction, there's no silos. It's not an us versus them. It's not a, why did you all produce that piece of content? That's dumb. And it's not, you know, I'm going to go sell and you go market. It's not that conversation. We got to get rid of that in 2018 and beyond. I love that, man. I think you, you are speaking our language. So one of the things that happened earlier this year was we as an organization at Terminus went through our core values conversation and we we're kind of going through it. And it started with just sales and marketing kind of trying to figure out what, what, how they're thinking about it. And they started calling themselves as one team. And they said, look, we're one team. We're one team, which means we don't have a lead goal. We don't have a webinar goal. We don't have a content goal. We have a goal to drive revenue for the organizations. We are one team. Both sales and marketing leaders said yeah. that. That became the rallying cry, and they started to talk about that in the all hands, like, hey, we're one team, and here's what we're doing. And then we started a meet, they started a meeting called Smarketing Meeting, where sales and marketing came together and talked about where they want to go, what accounts they want to penetrate, and all that kind of stuff. So now it has gone into a point, Marcus, where one team is now our company core value. So it, to what you're talking about, the revenue team and, and getting everything is, is fascinating. And another thing that you shared, which I never thought about, this is really cool. I, I think people are going to get some giggles out of this is you are so right. But I never thought about this, that 70% or more of the customer experience is driven by marketing organization or is in the hands. They want it, they like it or not. It's just happening, but yet they're not getting paid. And as much as that, I've never, ever thought about it. So I think hey, well, and a lot of it's their fault though, yeah. because they speak like marketers and they don't make sure that they have the tools to measure. And they might say, well, I can't get approval on the tools. You can't get approval on the tools because you're talking about the wrong way. If you're thinking about a tool like a HubSpot, are you calling it marketing automation? Or are you talking about it like it's a sales and marketing ROI measurement tool? Because that's what it is. It's not marketing automation. The dumbest thing that Marketo, HubSpot, 
and all the Pardot and all of them did is they called it marketing automation. That was dumb. Yeah. And so I bet you if they could go back in time, they would call it something else because most of them now have expanded out anyway, right? I mean, you know, Pardot's part of Salesforce. So it's a, it's a, you know, they're one unit now, right? You see what I'm saying? This is where everybody's going. Even software is going towards this because if you, if it's living on an island by itself, it's dramatically less effective. No doubt about it. So let's chat. And I want to hear, because I know you have some real amazing examples of like, how can businesses and brand be more trusted? Yeah. Would you, could you share an example of where, where people can just wrap their brains around this? I got some simple stuff for you. Real quick, here's my background, everybody that's listening to this. If you don't know my story, I started a swimming pool company in 2001 out of college with a couple of buddies. And we were growing the business in 2008. The market collapsed. We almost lost the company. I was getting ready to file for bankruptcy. And that's when I started to learn all about inbound marketing, content marketing, social art stuff. But what I heard in my simple pool guy mind was, you know, Marcus, if you just obsess over your customers' questions and are willing to address address those on your website, through text, through video, you just might save your business. So that's when I embraced a philosophy that I ended up calling They Ask you answer. And I said, you know what? We're going to be the best teachers in the world when it comes to fiberglass swimming pools. And uh, we're going to become the Wikipedia of pools. And that became our obsession. And to make a long story short, we garnered the most traffic swimming pool website in the world. It saved the business. And now we're manufacturing pools as well and sending them all over the U.S. Incredible momentum. It's a story that's been featured in multiple books and publications now. And that was the core behind They Ask You Answer the book, which did so well. Now, I say that as a preface because, you know, sometimes people hear that and say, well, it's a pool guy. I'm a B2B, I'm blah, blah, blah. Listen, guys, what happened was this went so well that I started writing about it. And as I was writing about it, Sangram, I had events say, hey, Marcus, can you tell that story? Can you teach that to our audience? Can you show our company how to do that? I ended up start starting a digital marketing agency as well. All right, it was called the Sales Line. It's now called Impact. We've got 65 employees. And so I've got a ton of case studies now all over like industries and crazy international, national. And this is the key to they ask you answer, okay? When you obsess over what your customers are asking about and you release the, well, we can't really talk about that conversation. It gives you the ability to educate them level that you never have before. And there's essentially in every industry, regardless of whether it's a B2C, B2G, B2B, business product, local, national, service, whatever. We know there's five subjects that as human beings, we want to understand before we actually engage the company. In other words, before we talk to a salesperson, this is during that 70%. Here's the five subjects that we want to know. As buyers, we're obsessed with how much is it? In other words, what are the cost constraints? Number two, what are the negatives with it? What are the problems, the issues, the drawbacks? How could this blow up in my face? Number three, how does that thing that you're selling compare to that other thing that I'm also looking at? Number four, what is everybody saying about that thing? In other words, reviews. That's how we define quality today. We don't research quality. You don't go online and say, what is, what is a very quality-based this or that? No, no, no. You search for reviews of, right? And then number five, we search for the best. We're obsessed with knowing the best, even though we don't always buy the best. We want to know the, know the best so that we can gauge it. So what might that look like? Well, I'm going to give you a really simple example for, let's say, swimming pools, right? And so if I sold swimming pools, which, of course, I still own my swimming pool company, it might be something like this. 
How much does a fiberglass pool cost? What are the problems with a fiberglass swimming pool? Fiberglass versus concrete swimming pools, which is best? A review of the five best swimming pool builders in Richmond, Virginia. Yeah. Okay. Who are the best fiberglass pool manufacturers? All right. What is the best fiberglass swimming pool for my yard? So this is like, these are the types of questions that buyers ask. When we started this process, no swimming pool company in the world had talked about how much a fiberglass pool costs on their website. Yes. Now, what's funny about this is if you, if we break this down in just real quick, like terms, there's, if I, if anybody's listening to this right now, and if I said to you, have you researched how much something costs on, online in the last year? You'd say, yeah, of course. And when you do research how much something costs online, you can't find it. What is the emotion you experience? You're like, I feel frustrated. Why do you feel frustrated? Because you're like, it's my right to know. The bar's been raised. I've been trying to give you my money. And in this moment of frustration, you as a buyer, you don't sit there and say, oh, I'm just going to keep digging on this website because you're gone quickly. In fact, in less than 10 seconds, most people are gone. You as the buyer don't say to yourself, oh, that's okay. They're a value-based business. I'm going to call them on the phone instead. You don't say that. Yep. What you as the buyer do is you keep searching until you find. And generally speaking, whoever gives you what you were looking for, they're going to get your business. If they're not your business, at least first contact, first phone call, right? So this is what this is how we've all evolved. Yet over 90% of all service-based B2B businesses still don't talk about cost and price, Ingram. And here's the reason why. It's three actual BS excuses. I used to use them. All businesses still use them that don't do this. First reason is, well, we're, we, we, uh, we're, we're not a widget. It's a very customized solution. Every job is different. It depends, right? So that's the first one. What's funny about that, Sangram, is I could come to you and I could say, can you help me understand what would drive the cost of your product or service up? You'd say, sure. If I came to you and said, can you help me understand what would drive the cost of your product or service down? You'd say, sure. If I said to you, can you explain why you are more or less than your competitors and why there's such a delta in your industry in terms of pricing? You'd say, sure. So it's easiest to explain. Second reason why we don't like to talk about cost and price is because we say things like, well, we're more expensive. And because if we're more expensive, they see we're more expensive, we might scare them away. But the thing that actually scares us away as buyers, this is a proven fact in 2018 and beyond, is when we can't see it. Mm. Ignorance is actually what scares us away because we hate surprises. We want to know what we're getting ourselves into. So ignorance is the thing that actually scares us. Knowing actually induces action. The third reason why we don't like to talk about cost and price is because we say things like, well, the competitors will find out or they'll use it against us. What's funny about that is yeah, if you go to... Yep, that's exactly right. You know what your competitors charge, or at least very close. They know what you charge. So this is the big secret non-secret. Everybody acts like nobody knows what everybody's charging, when in reality, everybody pretty much knows what everybody's charging. Last point about this. We wrote, in late 2009, I wrote an article about how much does the fiberglass pool cost. Long story made short, I just redid the numbers on this, that one single article where I couldn't, exp I couldn't say exactly how much a fiberglass pool costs, but I could say what drives it up, what keeps yeah. it down, what makes some companies cheap, what makes some companies expensive, all the factors. Long story made short, this article has now made over $6 million in sales for the company. Wow. That's called marketing R-O stinking I. That's what it's called. The leads that came directly off of that one single article. In other words, organic leads that came to the site, that land on that page, eventually fill out a form, eventually bought something, right? Because we can track their names, we can track their values, and we can track it all the way back to that existing piece of content, which is, again, what every marketer should be doing, over $6 million in revenue. Yet, people are still saying, you know what, I don't think we should do that. You realize, Sangram, for 90% of our clients, 
half of which are B2B. The number one traffic lead in sales generating content has to do with money. Hmm. How so? Well, because it's the thing that regardless of what you sell, everybody wants to know. Yeah. What's funny about this too, it's the same for recruits. A lot of people have come to me and say, man, they ask you answer, change my business, but it really changed my HR, my ability to do recruiting. Because the number one question that potential recruits are researching, even millennials, even millennials, is average salary. That's the number one question. Everybody wants to understand money. We want to gauge. Lots of times we don't even apply for jobs because we're afraid that it's not even worth our time based on where the range of salary or the compensation is. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't make any sense. Guys, it's 2018. And here's the other part about this, Ingram, is as soon as somebody does this, now what happens is the chips fall and they become a rule breaker who is now the rule maker and everybody else becomes the rule follower because they've either got to get in line or they're like, "Uh uh-oh, geez, I guess we'll just, we're going to still hope that they call us and say, I'd love to get a quote. Don't make any sense. And I just, I mean, this is, I took like four pages of notes on it. So like, this is, this is so cool. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to summarize, maybe like somehow try to keep it to like two or three golden nuggets because there were a lot more than that, uh, than this for sure. So I'm going to listen to it again and follow through. And I want Marcus for you to share a challenge because I think you've already given a lot of challenges in this conversation already. Uh, but to end with a challenge that you want to give everybody uh, after, as soon as I finish summarizing. So here we go. So number one, you started off saying, which I think is so cool, it says that one of the top reasons, the top keys to life is how you can communicate in order to be successful. And, and, and I feel in just, just this conversation, you have so clearly articulated what's wrong, what's not wrong, and what, how people think. It just means that Human psychology really matters. It's not, let's, let's stop playing the games and let's just get to the heart of it and, and, be, and, and treat people the way we would want to be treated. I would want to know the numbers. I would want to know the details. Yeah. I would want to yes. know. So I feel like by saying that, look, you, by up-leveling, by saying keys to life, I think you just up-level the human psychology behind that. So thanks for doing that. The number two thing you said that, you know, that was really good. I have an eight-year-old son and a four-year-old daughter, and I, I talk to them about this all the time is, you know, and I'll at least try to keep, keep my ears and eyes open is that what are they getting educated on? Not necessarily what are they getting schooled on, but what are they getting educated on? How are they handling situations? How are they addressing things? So to your point, when you said that Google and other companies are not hiring for school, I think it makes sense. Education is not what you what you get in school. So that, that was great. And then number three, uh, oh man, uh, you know, people should, I'm going to go pick up the book, uh, They Ask, You Answer, because it sounds like it's a phenomenal book that, that I need to go look at. But you kept saying throughout the theme is really how do you obsess over your customers and the numbers and everything will follow? And I feel like a lot of people obsess towards the shareholder value. And I think in that way, they, they actually negate the shareholder value by not focusing on the customer itself. So the, the example you shared about how that one blog post uh, generated six minute revenue, I think that's, that's the kind of thing that marketers can learn from and say, that's what we need to strive for. But that does just didn't come to you. You actually obsessed over a customer and what customers cared about. That probably what inspired you to write that article. So lots and lots of other, you know, takeaways that I'll summarize in a blog later on. But, uh, but hopefully those were the top three. Uh, I don't know if there was one more that you want to share there and leave everybody with a challenge, Marcus. Yeah, no, no. I think you, I think you nailed them. 
And I would just want to reiterate that if you're listening to this, you're not the exception to human psychology. I know that to be true. We are not the exception to human psychology. Here's the quick challenge that I'll give you if you're listening to this. I want you to go back and meet with your sales team. That might be yourself or that might be a multiplicity of people. And I want you to say, what are the most common questions that you hear, especially when you have a first sales call? And write them out as many as you possibly can. If you do this, you'll probably have at least a few dozen. Once you've done this, now ask yourself a very serious question and do it honestly. Say, have we fully addressed this well on our website through text and video? If you do this activity, it is my guess that this is going to give you enough work to fill your department for the next three to 12 months, depending on where you are. That's my promise to you. And if you do this also, it's going to make you very different from your competitors. And immediately, your sales team can integrate this into their sales process. This is going to help significantly with search. It's going to help with user experience. It's going to help with recruiting even. And you're going to see the differences. And then you're going to start to be viewed as the teacher and as that voice of trust. Love that. Love that. You bring so much depth in this conversation. Marcus, thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you for sharing so much wisdom. My pleasure, brother. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.